There we go, ladies and gentlemen, we're live. It's five o'clock somewhere. Five o'clock here. Cheers. Uh, welcome to PT Pinecast, uh, a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. The best conversations happen at happy hour. Well, welcome to ours. Uh, I'm Jim McKay, your host, broadcasting live from the Arius Medical Studios, also known as my living room. Not really decorated that much, but we'll call it a studio for today. Find them at aureusmedical.com, the leaders in hashtag travel physical therapy. Let that PT license of yours take you where you want to go with positions in all different settings in all states. So check them out online, aureusmedical.com. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Deezer Radio, Stitcher, the whole nine. And now video casting on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at PT Pinecast on all the socials great show for you tonight giving you what you need to know about oncology physical therapy this is part two in a series on hashtag onco pt the first round brought to you by our friends at owens recovery science a single source for pts looking for certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training and the equipment you need to apply it properly in your clinical practice properly there's a lot of knockoffs out there but uh, check them out online owens recovery science so let's get our guests in here to find out what you need to know about oncology physical therapy. Our first guest is a service team lead in oncology rehabilitation at the, you got to hit the the hard, the Ohio State University James Comprehensive Cancer Center. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in our, our guest. Welcome in Amy Compton. There she is right there. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, first question is always the hardest. What are we drinking today, Amy? It's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock yeah, right now. I have an old fashioned. Wow. What yeah. am I? Homemade, well, local yeah. distillery. Cheers. Cheers to you. Wow. Where are you geographically? Uh, Columbus, Ohio. All right. So you're close. You're close to the campus and everything. Uh, we're actually got, I want to, I'm going to give a little tease. We got, we got Theraball coming up very, very soon. Are you aware of Theraball? Yes. The bit, yeah. Did you go to Theraball in person? This year we're doing a virtual Theraball. Uh, no, up you know what? I have never got the chance to attend, um, but I've been invited a couple different times. So it'll be interesting this year. Definitely a new, yeah. new platform. Yeah, Theraball is uh, the Ohio State University DPT programs. Um, really like their big event that benefits the Marquette Challenge for the Foundation for Physical Therapy Research. And of course, you know, they usually do it in person. Uh, this year we're coveting it. So it's going to be virtual. I'm going to be hosting it. And we're going to be bringing in Ohio State alumni and students from around the country to kind of do this like 90 minute virtual thing to raise some funds. So yeah, it's going to um, be a fun time. Yeah, it's going to be, it's different, but we're pivoting and, you know, we'll be together apart or whatever they always say. But we're talking <laughs> about raising funds too. I had a chance to, um, to host the APTA's flash action strategy. It's going on right now, this flash action strategy, 48 hours to really draw attention to and raise funds for uh, PT advocacy. And uh, we were, I mentioned earlier, we were going to sell some of these. I drink and I know things, by the way, which is my favorite line from Game of Thrones. I yeah, I love that. Know. That's good. Jerry Lannister. So we got these I drink and I know things pint glasses on our website. If you buy it now, a portion of the proceeds going to go to the flash action strategy. I wanted to mention that now because the flash action strategy will be over quickly. So I got that out of the way. Uh, Amy, you're at uh, the Ohio State University. You're James Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, you, you work in oncology physical therapy. What's like your, your superhero backstory for the audience to, to set you up? Um, oh, man. Well, I started seven and a half years ago. Um, I originally started in, in our department. Uh, we had one location in our department, and it was mainly focused on breast oncology and um, non-oncology related lymphedema. 
And then over the years, we've grown expansively. Um, so we now have four locations, uh, definitely a couple other locations on the docket for the future. But in that growth, I've kind of gone from place to place to place and working with different disease service lines and growing some of our clinic, uh, ambulatory clinics. So right now I am working mainly in um, sarcoma or orthopedic oncology, bone marrow transplant, head and neck oncology, uh, palliative pain, survivorship. Uh, so definitely I'm kind of all over the place and have had a lot of experience through the years uh, as oncology rehab has just grown at, at Ohio State and at the James, but grown in general as well. Yeah. So versatility, you're, you're like the, uh, the, the the jack of all trades in terms of uh, oncology, physical therapy. So we start really, really broad. We're going to be bringing on some other guests uh, during today's episode. We start with you. We want to start off, what are the things a PT can do to become successful in oncology, physical therapy? You know, we, we really want to know, like, how can we set ourselves up for success? We've got uh, people listening and watching that are either students or they are clinicians who might want to shift there, or maybe they're there. So let's start there. How to succeed in oncology PT, Amy? Yeah, I think over the years I've grown in uh, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, I definitely did not start out being an expert in oncology rehab. And actually, um, I never thought I was going to be in oncology rehab. I thought I was going to go into neuro PT. Um, but life just had it that I ended up being an oncology and I had a lot of family experience with, uh, oncology treatment. So it was a good fit. So I would say first being comfortable, being uncomfortable, being in that vulnerable space. We hear vulnerability a lot in leadership. Um, but in order to grow, you have to be a little bit uncomfortable in knowing what you don't know and then seeking out those answers. Um, and sometimes you don't even know what you're seeking. So fearlessly advocating for oncology rehab yourself and for patients is going to help uncover a lot of that. And then being responsive in your treatment as you advocate for those patients. Um, and then I would say probably don't set any limits on yourself, on your treatment, on your patients. Um, we've seen over the years oncology rehab changing in the way um, we view oncology rehab and the aspects that um, we impact with patients uh, throughout their care. So those are a couple uh, couple tips in how to be successful successful starting out or even while you're going through through yeah. your career. That last tip you mentioned in terms of not putting limits, I feel like it's a big cult cultural change. It starts with us. It's, well, it starts with the research, right? And that's what we know. But then you have to you have to 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 actually affect culture change to make sure that yourself personal culture change and those around you in the in the care team and throughout the the or the, the organization helping your patient really adopts that culture change. Yeah, and I think it's important that even if the research isn't out there, you know, if you're seeing something clinically where you're seeing this commonality with a certain patient population, there's a reason for that. And so leaning into that and uncovering that and working with the physicians that are working with these patients, um, I know particularly that's how I really got started in sarcoma. And that's how um, my research came to be in sarcoma was um, I had the opportunity to work with these amazing surgeons and I didn't know anything about sarcoma, but I was noticing these different aspects and these missing pieces where these patients weren't um, getting um, better as quickly as I thought they should be. And so we started working together collectively and then we wrote research based on what we were seeing and then based on the rehab we were implementing. 
So I think definitely, obviously looking at the evidence, but if you're seeing something clinically, lean into that and maybe you're going to be creating the evidence. Well said. I like that. Uh, so you started out not even wanting to, or knowing that you were going to wind up in oncology PT. What, 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 real briefly, what, what led you there? How'd you, how'd you trip and, and make that turn? Yeah. So the college that I went to, um, I went to a small Jesuit college in Wheeling, West Virginia. And at the time there was no, um, undergraduate physical therapy route. So, um, I majored in respiratory therapy and I loved it. I loved being in acute care. Um, but I knew I always wanted to do physical therapy. So that was always going to be the next step, but I wanted to have that plan B just in case. And I got to work with patients is you know, early on in my career. And that really helped me going into PT school. So once I got into PT school, I was really leaning acute care, non-ortho. Um, and then as I was getting into clinicals, I really fell in love with neuro. Um, and one of my relatives is uh, a quadriplegic. So there were some passions there that I was leaning into. Um, but then as we, I was coming to the end of, of my clinicals, you know, I started kind of prioritizing and I knew I wanted to work for a big system with a lot of opportunities. Those were my like two main um, wants. And I just started looking around. Um, I had a geographical area in mind. And then when I saw the position open up at, at Ohio State, I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, I would love to work for the Ohio State University. Um, and I interviewed and I really connected uh, with with the staff and with the department. And that's kind of how it came to be. I think the lesson you, I, 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 we take away from there, I take away from there is, is you focus on a couple things you wanted. You didn't narrow yourself to, I'm just going to do this. You're like, these are the two wants that I had, the, the two needs that have to be there for me to, to go in that direction. So that's great. Yeah. And I, I actually did not pass my physical therapy boards the first time. Um, I can't believe I'm saying that um, yeah. now, but I think it is important for those listening that if you are having a lot of self doubt or if you've run into some roadblocks, if this is what you want, then keep going. Um, I remember schlepping garbage at the Bath and Body Works across the street from where the James was being built and just thinking, you know what, I'm gonna work in that building. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And now I am working in that building and I don't take that for granted. So yeah, you get some cheers for that. I, I <laughs> you're revealing that. And, and thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, I feel like after the NPTE results come out and everybody's really tweeting those little blue rectangles, right? That passed um, every once in a while, there's a couple of seasoned PTs who chime in and go, listen, if you didn't pass a test, it just means you didn't pass the test. Um, and people often reveal, Hey, I, I didn't pass my first time. Or some people yeah. say, hey, I didn't pass my, my second time either. And you're still going to be a great PT. Love the fact that you had a goal locked on it and said, I'm going to be working in that building one day as you were slapping garbage for, for back and body works. <laughs> way, I would say, I know there are a lot of prerequisite courses for physical therapy, right? Physics, bio, anatomy, all that. I feel like retail and food service, you, you need to do a year of retail or food service because you learn a lot there there's a lot of people skills that uh you take on and when those you know that black friday sale comes like look out you've got to be juggling everything so yeah there's definitely some some skill there to learn 
Like, how do you break up a fight over hand sanitizer between two women on <laughs> Friday? You got to learn that skill. Yeah, that you better have backstock. That's for sure. <laughs> that's perfect. All right. So those are really the skills. If you want to stand now and be successful in oncology, physical therapy, once you're comfortable with the uncomfortable, because that was your first lesson, how can a PT stand out and become a leader? I would say don't overlook every small opportunity that comes, you know, that could be stocking paper in the gym printer, or that could be stocking the shelves of your department. That could be getting the opportunity to speak to some patients at a support group. That could be being able to collaborate with some big major physicians on new protocols and new pathways. You know, those opportunities, even if you don't necessarily see it right away, it's important to understand and keep in perspective where those opportunities fit in your overall value and your overall vision. Um, my vision and my value has always been about collaboration and improving that efficiency for oncology patients across the continuum. And so every opportunity adds up. Um, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of becoming a leader comes from is seeking out those opportunities if you can't find them, taking the ones that are given to you, seeing all the small things that can add up, and then assess your skills. Are there any deficits in your skills? For me, I'm in the Working Professionals MBA program at Ohio State. Um, I'm not afraid to say that, that math and accounting and finance and those sorts of areas are not my strong suit. And so I, yeah, I needed to build some of those skills based on some of my goals. Um, and really it was research. You know, I, I felt like I had some big major pieces to my puzzle, but I was missing some others. And over the course of the program, I've really put together uh, some, some major puzzles that have led me to different awards and different other different opportunities. So I think it's good to assess where your deficit is and then trying to seek out um, what can fill that deficit. And it could be networking. It could be reaching out to one of us here on the podcast. If you're in the oncology world, we're all really passionate about that. Yeah. It sounds like you just repeated yourself in a good way because you said be comfortable with the uncomfortable and, uh, and, and make sure, you know, you're talking about those wands. Like I have to have these in my career. And it sounds like you're doing that now with an MBA now with, you know, not passing the MPT on your first time. I was like, well, I'm going to get through this. I'm not hundred percent sure how right now, but I'm going to keep going until I get through this. And that's the lesson. I don't know. I'm taking away from here. This wasn't, we said, we, we tend to see, and I say this all the time on the show is we tend to see themes that we didn't see emerge. And that's what I'm picking up from you. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you have good support system or a good mentor or a coach, or it's through classes that you take or through the staff in your department, your colleagues or your friends or family at home, that really helps. And then when you're able to understand your values and what you're looking for and those pieces to that puzzle, you can then seek others to help align common values and shared values and then change really truly happens that way. Um, sometimes it just, I know it sounds cliche, but sometimes it just takes that little catalyst, that little spark and why not it be you? Um, I didn't know anything in the beginning. I just started, I just started moving forward. Um, and those pieces of the puzzle will fall into play. Yeah. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Just keep showing yeah. up. 
Uh, question from the audience right here. This one's from Ashley Jones. Any advice for a student interested in oncology PT, but may not have an opportunity to gain experience in a clinical setting during school? So limited there with a the clinical experience, what would you what would you suggest? So that's a really great question. You know, there aren't um, a lot of, of robust oncology departments um, that are going to give a lot of variety. There definitely are major, major players out there, and we're going to be hearing from a lot of those players today. Um, but for, for those page, those students that may not have the opportunity, I would say first there is a residency program. So you do have the oncology residency program to continue on with your education and really dive deep and become um, that expert in, in the field and really set you up nicely. You're going to be able to work one-on-one -on -one with, um, with really profound professionals in oncology rehab, and that can really help improve. If residency is not necessarily your realm, I would take to Google. Honestly, that's where a lot of my searching starts. What are you going to Google? What are you looking for? So I would just type in oncology, physical therapy, oncology, um, oncology treatment program. So maybe it's not focused on physical therapy at first. Broaden your search. You know, mm. are there any cancer hospitals in your area? You know, because there are so many cancer survivors and because of there are so many cancer patients and newly diagnosed patients that we're going to see um, and continue to see, there are going to be more oncology programs that are popping up um, and cancer programs that are popping up. Um, the other aspect is if you are in an even more smaller, smaller area that you have, like, let's say a small rural hospital and you have a 50 bed hospital, the reality that one of those patients is going to be a cancer patient, even if that's not their primary diagnosis that they're being treated for, is extremely high. So I would get together with the lead physician or the major physician and see, hey, can I connect with you on, and, and see any cancer patients with you um, and see you know, what, what their treatment is all about. So I wouldn't just narrow your scope to physical therapy. If that isn't the opportunity, like you just don't have oncology rehab facilities near you, then look to the physician side of things and reach out to some physicians as well. Wow. Yeah, think about that. Think think about what uh, what that would say to someone, a future employer that you didn't have an opportunity and you literally just said, I'm going to look for the side door somewhere else. And you did. Yeah, You'd be bringing something from outside of the physical therapy profession, but in the world of oncology, you'd be bringing that in. That's valuable. Yeah. And that's extremely impressive. Again, yeah. because oncology rehab is still growing and going to continue to grow. Um, a lot of facilities are going to need therapists like that, that are thinking in that creative way, especially now where, you know, you're not given a lot. We weren't given a lot with COVID and you have to make do and you have to think in a different way. So if you don't have the opportunity and you maybe not have the resource directly in front of you that looks typical, what's an atypical route that you can go that maybe be able to get you to the same place? Yeah, that's, uh, that's some good advice right there. Uh, Ashley, thanks for the uh, the question. Drop those questions in the comments below. We'll see if we can get them there. Comment coming in there. Uh, Juliet learned that these patients are treated in all settings. I mean, we, we learned that from Leslie Walkie not long ago on this show, which is if you're not in, and I'm using air quotes for the podcast audience, if you're not in oncology physical therapy and you're I'm just an outpatient orthopedic, you're probably going to have some patients who are either actively or who have gone through cancer treatment. So you need to be aware of this. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, I see it a lot in the orthopedic oncology world and the sarcoma world. You know, I've heard the stories numerous times of my sarcoma patients who had been treated by, you know, by a therapist for 
shoulder pain or hip pain or leg pain and they're a young patient definitely within in that young sarcoma population and they're not getting better with physical therapy and actually their pain may be getting worse or maybe you have a patient who had a history of cancer and you're treating them for hip pain or joint pain and they're getting worse and it doesn't quite make sense those red flags that we learn in physical therapy school we need to pay attention to those red flags with this patient population. And that's everybody, because there are times where that sarcoma patient that you may see come in for a sports related injury that you think, or at least that's what the diagnosis says. And you start uncovering that you, they're not getting better with your care and they should. You're a great clinician, I'm sure. You're been, you've been well educated. Why aren't they getting better? And then all of a sudden they wind up in the ER because their pain is so great and they're diagnosed with osteosarcoma. Um, or Ewing sarcoma. So it is really important. I'm glad I'm glad Juliet brought up that comment because we are all going to see it and it is seeping into every realm of physical therapy and we need to know those basics. All right. Ways to get your foot in the door in oncology physical therapy. Ways to become a leader. Uh, Amy Comston. Don't go anywhere. Go have some sips of the old fashioned. You've been talking a lot. Go have yeah, some sips. We'll do. We'll bring you back in just a minute. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He's known by his YouTube subscribers as the Kids Cancer PT. He's a pediatric cancer rehab physical therapist at Sanford's Children's Hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. PT Dan Steventon is in the house. What's up? How's it going? It's Dan, how are we doing today, man? Doing well. Doing well. Do it's good to see you. Do you like my flower? I do like you. Probably one of the most decorated backgrounds. I just moved into this. Very apartment. soft. I'm literally just like putting like like frame <laughs> jerseys up just so it looks like it's kind of an empty wall. I'm like, yeah, I'll just throw yeah. some up in the background. It was either a flower or doorknobs. I had two choices, so flower it is. I like the the Martha Stewart in me likes the uh, the yes. direction that you were going. Oh, yeah, yep, uh, Dan, Dan, you were listening when uh, when Amy was talking. Man, just rock star, yes, right there, huh? Yeah, absolutely. She she really hit the nail on the head as far as. Uh, prepping for an oncology career, you have to be willing to maybe think outside the box sometimes. Yeah. Uh, what's your superhero backstory? Kind of frame it up for everybody. Like, how did you come to, to be PT Dan? How'd you come to the profession and, and specifically, you know, kids cancer PT? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I was actually, I was a pre-med guy. I was thinking that that was where I was headed until I started working at the children's hospital where I work currently while I was prepping for med school and uh, in meeting some of the kids that were getting diagnosed. So I tend to see them the most often because they were in all the time. Uh, that, was the, that was the catalyst moment. I, um, I met a couple of them. One little gal came out to ask me for a drink of water one time and I was like, oh, oh. and then immediately I had this shock factor that I saw this kid who was obviously had a whole lot going on, chemo, hair loss and, and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, from then on, we became friends and I started to meet the other kids that were going through this. And and uh, then I had uh, a friend of mine, you might know him, Sean Hagee, uh, yeah. suggest, hey, uh, you should get into physical therapy. And I was, I never even thought about it. I didn't, I'd never seen a PT really at that point. And uh, so that's where it started. And so, I was like, well, I think I'm going there. So, so to play off what we we're just talking about with, with yeah. Amy, you're saying these are, these are the, the, the needs I need to yeah. have. You were going to med school, right? You were going there. Yeah. But what, what were your needs? Because once you were presented with a connection with, you know, little people, mm -hmm. kids, yeah. you went that way. So what were the needs for you? I mean, for me, the I think that sitting there going, I want to make a difference with this population. I don't think I can do that on a 10, 15 minute window that an oncologist is going to be in a room or whoever mm -hmm. else, you know, a, a primary care physician will be in the room with the patient. I can't 
build the relationship that I want to build. And I do want to connect with that, that uh, patient and that family. So uh, I discovered that PT was the way to go. I mean, if you want to connect with people, PT, that's what PTs do. Welcome. You spend yeah. all your time doing it. So yeah. that's so, where it started. And PT school was, uh, I was next natural step. I studied oncology. I was like, I'm going in to work with kids with cancer. I don't know if that's like, I'm not sure anybody else thinks like that, but I, I did my research on it. And I was like, I'm lining this up. And uh, I did uh, clinicals that were oncology related, one at St. Jude and, and that sort of thing. So. That's awesome. Well, great. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, and glad you're there. You're all over the place. I mentioned in your intro, uh, people know you uh, on YouTube. You got a bunch of subscribers, create a bunch of <laughs> just different think, content. Yeah. That's been a that's been a good time. I actually I like I would no, not have known who Leslie Waldke was, but now you guys have had her on the show, and and now I'm seeing like, oh my goodness, she's doing for the adult world what I hope to do for peds, and and yeah. uh, it's so funny because she says I just wanted to not answer the same question over and over. Well, that's I mean I think for me it's been more about like I really want these kids to have somebody staring back at them that that believes in them that knows how hard they're fighting. And uh, and that gives them, you know, like some encouragement, some entertainment at the same time and some good info. Yeah, they're fun videos like, you know, from a content creator's perspective, they're well, they're really well done videos. So <laughs> could, could you will drop the link in the uh, the comments. So if you're watching this either live or the replay, make sure you subscribe. I think it's just a lesson, even if you're not, you know, in oncology, physical therapy, even if you don't work with kids, just check out what Dan's doing. Because it's entertaining. And then, by the way, all the information is really good. You tell a bunch of different stories. You do like a research roundup. And you're, yes. you're doing um, you know, your kid's reaction video to, uh, to, uh, to, to a kid. Rotation plastic. Yeah. Talk about that video. That was great. Oh, man. So that was wild because this gal, uh, her name is Shauna. Uh, Shauna Lunison, or, or technically her professional name is Shauna Decker. But she uh, was a rotation plastic survivor from way back in the day. One of the first people probably to get that surgery. And uh, she ended up, I connected with her through social media. We ended up on uh, talking via Instagram. And I, cause she was gonna, I was hoping she would talk to one of my patients who was gonna have this surgery and was scared. And uh, so I, I, we ended up arranging it, it all worked out. And then and the kid came away just so like enamored with her and excited like, well, so, okay, after I have this surgery, because before they were like, I would rather die than have this surgery. And and so, yeah, she came in and just, I was like, so I contacted her afterwards. She just said, thank you. Thank you for, you'd have no idea the kind of battle, internal battle that was going on. And you just like fixed it. You yeah. related. And uh, so she, she was like, we need to do a video. She saw what I was doing. <laughs> and so she came out that same weekend, brought her husband, who's a PT actually at Mayo, uh, and, uh, he, they came out and, uh, did this whole video and she had the idea to have my kids react to her whole situation, her post-op leg. A real reaction. It's so, it's so yes. full circle, right? Because she had the rotation class when she was a kid yes. and, and that's really what your goal, you said you wanted to have kids staring back at them that, that were paying attention to them and knew what they were going through and were listening yeah. to them, even though that you're just kind of talking to it. But that's a perfect example. And again, what you said about Leslie Walkie is you don't have to answer the same question over and over again. Like the <laughs> time you created a really well done video. And now whenever that comes up, you can go to your YouTube channel and be like, you know what? I'm going to prescribe this video for you and your child because I went into depth of what this is going to look like and feel like. And, and here's the best part. It's a good ending. It's happy. Yeah. It's a yes. Yep. It's a hopeful ending. And uh, you got these, I've already used that once. I've actually, I've already sent a patient there uh, because they were going to have the same surgery. And, and 
it it's worked well for people to not only meet Shauna, but also like to see the video and you, it answers questions about prosthetics here as well. I guess one of them does. There's like five of those videos, but uh, I don't know if you can count the blooper one. <laughs> uh, good. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the one that's just uh, talking about prosthetics, like kids are looking at, okay, my foot's on backwards. How does that even fit? Like, how do I, like, how do I use a prosthetic? Okay. Well, this, this video explains that. There you yeah. go. So, but you, all right. So you're, you're, not having to answer the same questions over again. You're giving information, but you're giving it in a way that's human because I could go find this information. I could Google it and I could read it in a really sterile, you know, cold way. But what you're doing is you're putting a person. This isn't, uh, you know, this isn't uh, an operation. This is Shauna. Listen to her story because maybe you can be like her. Because she's, she's thriving now. Public speaker. She just climbed the Catalyst Mountain in Colorado. I mean, I'm telling you, People with rotation plastic surgery do not have to worry. They can they can do anything they want to. Their That's imagination great. is the limit. That's great. All right, we'll make sure people can uh, can subscribe to the other uh, videos as well. Links in the comments right now. Um, talking about treating and connecting with kids with cancer. Top tools. What are the things you'd recommend? I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say video is going to be on there, but that's just me. <laughs> what would you recommend oh. for connection, with, especially with kids with cancer? I, I went a, I went a different route. I was thinking about okay, if this is a if this is a PT student, and say you've got an opportunity on a clinical rotation or some some opportunity to to see a kid with cancer, yeah, I mean you might you might create videos. I great, you know what? Videos uh, have been a way for my mom to know what I'm up to, uh, and they've been a way for a few other people to know what the, what they're up to. But my biggest concern is is helping a student that gets in this situation to not be the same terrified that I tend to feel whenever I'm going into a new patient situation. So I was thinking if you're standing outside the hospital room door, it starts there. You've got to do good chart review. Um, this is uh, a chance for you to become the expert clinician by doing good chart review and then having a research base. Uh, so those are my, those are my two top tips. I mean, as far as the, 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 uh, um, the first two, I really want people to to read research. I think the research should be one of those daily vitamin things that you just you put it in your in your head and let it percolate. Because you, if you run into a patient, you're like, oh my goodness, I read an article about this, uh, and it's a good way to become an expert in something. Because even if you can only get through the the uh, intro and the methodology, you're you're a step ahead. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, having you know, you basically as a PT, your job is to plan ahead for those kids. So you have to know what chemo they're getting, what the protocol looks like when they're getting the chemo, uh, whether there's like radiation or, or a uh, surgery out in the future. And that's, uh, you get your job as uh, what we do in oncology is called prospective surveillance. And uh, so you start with the person towards the beginning of treatment, and then you're seeing them throughout treatment. You see them from the beginning, uh, you know, when at first a diagnosis, they may have very few impairments, maybe none at the time you meet them, but then you're following them and you know what's coming. You have to plan ahead and plan your rehab around that. So be uh, for me, like being able to, to, to step in and be like, okay, I know what's gonna be going on during this treatment. Here's how we combat it. And here's how you can help. Here's the, how you take the reins. That's uh, that's what you do in prospective surveillance. You have to be well-read in their chart and in the research in order to make that happen. Yeah, sounds like so a boy. That's, that's top 10. That's my top tip. The other sounds, ones are different. Sounds like it's be, you know, it's the Boy Scout motto, right? Be prepared and also yeah. lifelong learning. Like you always be yeah. learning because you have to know what's coming down the road for these patients so you can anticipate what they might, what you might be seeing when you're treating them. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Yeah. I think if you're outside the room or if you're just walking into the room, look around the room. You know, these kids with cancer, they move into their their uh, their <laughs> hospital room almost like it's a hotel room or something. And it's like an extended stay hotel. They um, they're, they're the um, you know, they have pictures around. They have stuffed animals that are important. Uh, and sometimes the stuffed animal that's the most important is closest proximity. So if you read the room well, you walk right. in and just take the time to look around and say, hey, what's in here also like who's in pictures but isn't here so like figure out if it's an oncology like an aya kid uh, adolescent young adult cancer patient maybe they've got a significant other that's in a picture on the wall or or nearby maybe they're uh, got a certain app on their phone that you recognize whatever you can do to make a connection early on these people need to know that somebody cares about them other than just like what meds they're about to get right so so not only a good chart review, read read the room and how can you build that connection? What are the things that you can use? You know, I spent a year in peds and believe me, on uh, eval, I went right to the mom or dad. I'm like, all right, what uh, what movies are we liking? Yes. Uh, you know, and I, and I go right to Apple Music and I'd be playing that soundtrack on their first visit. And like, how do you like, you like this song? And I'd be like, absolutely. Yeah. Look at that. I just stacked the deck in my favor. Yeah. And as long as the song's not like just old enough to be awkward, you're like, right. oh, it's not from 1997. Like, right. this is the thing. <laughs> That's valid. Yeah. Um, all right. So stick around. Get yourself a drink. Stick around. We'll bring Thank you some. And uh, I appreciate right. that. Kudos again on my YouTube videos. Those things are not easy to make. The high production value, but <laughs> facilitating uh, connection. What are you drinking? I forgot to ask, by the way. Mellow Yellow. That's what I got. Mellow Every Yellow. Day. I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a uh, Juice Bomb IPA. This is out of New York. I'm Ooh, living nice. New York right now, so I'm trying to support nice. the fantastic IPA. All right, uh, Dan, we'll bring it back in just a minute. Appreciate you. Yeah. All right, coming in the studio next, we've got a physical therapist and PhD candidate in rehabilitation science at the University of Utah and Huntsman Cancer Institute specializing oncology rehabilitation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Chris Barnes in the house. Hey, everybody. Chris, how are we doing today, sir? I am doing well. I'm doing well, Jimmy. How are you doing? Doing all right. You're in front of a dry erase board. You're a man after my own heart. I love you <laughs> dry erase board. It, it's uh, meticulously erased, as you can see. Not a whole lot of, uh, <laughs> not a whole lot going on there. But you know, empty boards make for uh, ideas, I suppose. The blank slate. You know, anything yeah. can go there. Yeah. It should be tabula rasa, indeed. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, uh, PhD candidate, rehabilitation yep. science. I always yes, like sir. to ask when people go into further school. Because I always said when I got an undergrad, I'm like, I'm done. Then I took 10 years <laughs> off. Then I went back. But for someone who goes right into PhD, like, what was that thing that put you over the edge? Because I'm sure yourself, I know a lot of people think about it. Some say yes, some say no. What was the thing that said, this is a need for me? I need to get something out of this. What was it? So, uh, you know, uh, on my... Uh, on my <laughs> On my I'm more uh, weaker days, my weekdays, I might say that it was, you know, uh, lunacy, you know, a, a lack of vision, <laughs> uh, not knowing what I was getting myself into. But that's not reality. Um, really, um, I want to have an impact. I want to be able to make um, a change and to, to lead. Um, and in many spaces that requires, you know, more advanced study or uh, moving into uh, you know, spaces that PTs don't normally go into, say, like, uh, you know, uh, research, but, you know, not folding research into a PT practice, but focusing on research, perhaps at the expense of uh, a clinical presence or, you know, where I'm at, I, I'm really focused on um, policy, you know, uh, getting into spaces, talking with policymakers, talking with payers, things like that, um, you know, health administrators. So uh, to get into that space, you need to 
to to walk yeah. the walk, but also you have to kind of get that cachet, and it's sure. exceedingly difficult for a PT to get that kind of um, entrance unless you kind of demonstrate right yeah. that, you, well, that you're in, in it to win it. Thank you for being there because the more people like you who are in that room can start to change what well, we say hearts and minds, right? You want to, you want to change uh, people's behavior, hearts and minds. And the fact that there's a PT in the room talking the talk and walking the walk, that'll help yep. our profession no matter where you are geographically. Yep. And that's, you know, being in the room is a big part of what I do, you know, in my research and in my practice, as well as kind of an overriding um, kind of theme of just, you know, an approach, um, you know, as, as Amy knocked it out of the park, uh, you know, and Dan <laughs> then knocked it further out of the park. Um, both of them demonstrated that uh, being willing to do a thing, um, if there's a thing to be done, being willing to step in, even if uh, in the face of ignorance or, you know, a feeling of inadequacy or whatever it may be to, to make that effort, um, that's the currency, right? And then showing up is, uh, is how you demonstrate over and over again that you, you know, that you're serious, that that, yeah. that you care, right? Showing so, up, I love it. All right, yeah. so you, you you mentioned that thing that said PhD is my thing. You wanted to make yeah. an impact. What work are you doing as a PhD candidate to incorporate rehab into your pay, into your care with persons living with cancer? Yeah, so um, so my work, I uh, so I work on a study called the Precision Exercise Prescription Study, um, which is uh, a, a a real interesting model. It's it's quite unique. Um, what we did was we uh, figured out how to put an, uh, a physical therapist on the um, oncology clinic team, on the outpatient clinic team. So embedded in the team, which is you know not uncommon um, as far as different settings. You know, it's happening in emergency um, you know departments around the country. It's happening in many uh, oncologic settings, and, and you know um, places like um, NT clinics will have a speech language uh, pathologist. You know, and and PT or therapists uh, on their staff, you know, embedded because they're they're they've seen that to be a, a required element of their care of, of a comprehensive approach to care. Um, that is not the case in most oncology settings. And so, I'm working uh, in a thoracic surgical clinic. I'm working with people with lung cancer, uh, both primary and secondary lung cancer, and uh, and getting into that space. Um, it's both getting into a surgical clinic, which is you know a lot of the people. Listening, a lot of PTs know that's exceedingly challenging to get um, into a surgical team and to be actually part of the team versus kind of a add-on. Uh, and then, you know, also getting into uh, the, the like kind of the pathways and 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 uh, and then the way things work in the oncology world, which is it's got its own rhythm, uh, it's got its own requirements. Um, you know, as Dan mentioned, uh, providers in the oncology space have zero time to to expand to do extra. Um, so, you know, becoming aware of function as a domain of, uh, of human existence um, and, and that it can be intervened on and managed and, and tracked and that it's important um, takes more than just that realization, okay, I have to do something on the part of providers. So bringing somebody onto the team with that focus, again, being in the room, um, is, that is that is it. That's the core of our study. Um, and, and I had the... Uh, I had the great honor of figuring out a name for this um, this model, right. and, and and in my creativity, I called it the clinically integrated physical therapist model. So I'm not, uh, you know, as far as naming, uh, you know, I'm glad that there's no people walking around with names that I got, I gave them because it would be like <laughs> child one, child two, child three. Um, but yeah, that's that's the idea is to integrate a clinic, uh, a physical therapist into that clinical team, 
And that includes getting buy-in from all the stakeholders. That includes um, developing PT practice to, to be appropriate to that setting. Um, that includes developing all kinds of data capture and utilization uh, you know, processes, uh, being able to, to find out quickly what's going on with somebody, uh, a person with cancer at the clinic, and then um, using that information uh, to streamline and, and target uh, uh, PT care. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we never know when these themes emerge, but you being in the room and showing up is, is going to help the profession, but it's also going to help our patients ultimately. That's the idea. Um, and, you know, again, the stories, they're common. Uh, you know, people who work uh, with people with cancer see it every day, see the, 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 the functional deterioration um, predictably, right? So somebody has surgery, you know, for the next few weeks, they're going to be struggling. But if that uh, post-op um, pathology comes back positive, then they're going to need to have uh, chemotherapy. In my in the world that I practice, uh, that means adjuvant chemotherapy, chemotherapy after surgery, and um, and that's predictable, right? The the regimen that they get is has predictable, um, you know, day four after the first infusion, they are going to have, you know, fatigue, muscle weakness, perhaps nausea and vomiting, perhaps um, just overall activity intolerance. You know, it's predictable. So um, that you know, like I said, it changes the way that we can practice as PTs instead of, uh, you know, doing the best we can to come and fix and, and to help somebody recover from a unpredictable trauma. We know that things are coming and uh, and people in the, the oncology space, they can tell you endless numbers of stories of somebody that looked great. They come back for their next appointment and they know the look, but they don't really know what to do. And they don't know often that anything can be done. Um, mm -hmm. They, they feel like maybe it's an intractable problem and, and that is, um, it burns them out. It's dispiriting to know that there's somebody with a problem and you can't do anything. Um, you have no handle. And so that's what, that's the first thing we, we provided uh, with the CIPT model with the project that, that I'm on is, um, yeah, they, <laughs> they feel very good about saying, you know what, um, talk to Chris, he's right here. Um, you know, that's, they love that. And, uh, and that kind of, um, that kind of win-win. So, you know, me being in there is a huge win for me personally, for me as a PT, then for our profession. And then um, that enabled an even bigger win as far as providers are concerned, because they immediately get to say, whew, I'm so glad that there is somebody in the room who's an expert because I was about to talk right off the edge of my expertise. But right. now, hey, here's Chris. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Um, they're, they're very much uh, positive on it. Yeah, if you, if a physical therapist wasn't there, you're right. They would be stuck with nothing left to say. They would talk the, they would have talked off that edge. They wouldn't have had anything. Yep. But they can pass it off to you. Thankfully, hey, this yeah. is your jam. Right this way, yep. step in. That's got to feel great. It's got to make your colleague feel great and make PT look fantastic. Because oh yeah, <laughs> look, look where PT fits that I didn't know. Yep, yep. That's uh, that's the idea. And and this has been done lots of places, lots of ad hoc, you know, n of one projects where. Uh, a PT through their initiative, through um, good fortune. Honestly, it's it's uh, perfect storm type situations. You know, right place, right time. They get into a clinic, and then maybe they work that job for a few years and get promoted, and then it doesn't become an ongoing thing. So that's right. where that's where my next work is is really trying to figure out how can we uh, package this. You know, um, there's high level. Again, talking about the policy level and the regulation level, there's high level calls for this type of care as a baseline of comprehensive care, not as the ceiling, as the floor, um, but it's not happening 
widely, and uh, there's lots of different reasons. Um, but one of them is that there is not kind of a standard way of approaching this. No one has been able to kind of take um, all of the strands and pull them together into a, a package that can be delivered. Um, and so that's that, that's that's where I'd like to go. But you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and knock on wood because a PhD is. Uh, it's definitely like being on a boat in the ocean more than it is like building a, a ship in a bottle. There you go. Better you than me, my friend. And as you're talking about naming things, CIPT, where can people find out more information? If, they, if they're hearing about this and saying, hey, I want to know more, where can they go? So uh, thank you for, for asking. Um, so uh, we've got a couple of papers out. One is uh, the Precision Exercise Prescription Study Design paper, which is really talking about our protocol, how we're folding the research into the um, you know, so it's focused on the research and 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 how we're uh, you know collecting data, what we're going to do with it. Um, we've also written a perspective piece that was in PTJ in uh, March that is focused on the CIPT model, and that really goes into um, you know the stakeholders. How how did we get? We call them champions, CIPT champions. How do we get them on board and all pulling in the same direction to to make this possible? Um, and we talk about like the changes in clinic workflows that were necessary, and we did everything we could to make those as small as possible and then you know nurtured them and fostered them along and then the changes in PT practice uh, and then looking forward you know what 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 do we need um, this this is uh, indicates this is an indicator of a sea change in our in our profession um, I don't know if anybody's read uh, seen um, or I don't know however many people are listening to this or watching this have uh, also watched or listen to the Maley lecture from this year's APTA next, but um, Dr. Stout, Dr. Nicole Stout, just knocked it out completely off the planet as far as uh, taking these integrated ideas of surveillance, uh, prospective surveillance is, is the model that she uh, you know has championed. Um, the idea that you meet somebody and then track them, honestly, forever. Like when does somebody get discharged, discharged from primary care? Yeah. Um, but you have to make it relevant and have that relationship. And so um, this is not just something that's happening in an oncology by necessity. This is something that's happening uh, for care of human humans. Uh, and in particular, I, identifying function is something that's important and that needs to be tracked both as a sign of something that might be going on, but then also as a, a key element of quality of life, um, really getting into the why, you know, so why be healthy? Why, you know, why, um, take all this chemo. Why do all these extraordinary measures to prevent, you know, mortality? Um, and it can't just be survival, right? <laughs> it's got I mean, to be more. Right. Um, and that's not just in oncology. It's got to be more, you know. Um, and and yeah. So that's that's where all this is going, you know, on the horizon. Maybe not over. I like that. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. How are yep. you connecting the dots with your work and that conversation that? needs to be happening now and needs to yep. continue to the future. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, part of my, uh, part of my work. Uh, so I, my dissertation work is actually studying the patient experience of integrated PT. So studying um, how people um, in their own words, right. Describing their own experience of uh, treatment of care under this model. Um, and the Huntsman, you know, we're in Utah and uh, you drive, half an hour in any well, almost any direction and you are well from my i'm a city boy so um you are completely off the map um and so that means a, an extreme rural you know frontier population so a significant chunk of our people come from you know wyoming 
you know, wide open spaces or Idaho or, you know, Nevada or places there aren't a lot of people. And, uh, and uh, rural people have been uh, identified as a vulnerable and uh, 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 underserved health population. So um, I'm also looking at the differential experience of rural people versus non-rural people as far as um, how do they experience integrated PT, uh, you know, and, and looking for commonalities and differences, but then also um, looking for barriers to care, things that make it difficult to to uh, to access. Uh, we we know that uh, utilization of PT is low in oncology; it's even lower. Um, so that doesn't just speak to um, people not being, you know, kind of in the room or not being present, but it also speaks to the difficulty of somebody with a functional impairment with an issue who knows they need to get care, but not being able to find an avenue to get that care. Um, so I'm looking at that in rural populations, looking at facilitators and barriers. I always want to make sure to acknowledge facilitators because um, that's that's our working space. That's how yeah. that's the things we accentuate to get uh, people to care to people that need it. Um, so uh, people, you know, Doing DEI work in Salt Lake, uh, it is the widest uh, uh, state in the nation. So if we're looking for that kind of diversity, uh, ethnic and um, racial diversity, this is not the place. But uh, it is remarkably diverse, my patient population, as far as uh, rurality versus non. And so um, I'm studying that. But uh, the things that we do to be in clinic, there's nothing that would keep them from being appropriate to uh, being in a clinic uh, anywhere else. They could be in a, a clinic, you know, with any other kind of upper, underrepresented or underserved health population and having a PT there in clinic, people are going to show up for their oncology appointments. That is right. kind of standard, you know, very few people, people will cancel a PT appointment compared to canceling an oncology follow-up, a surgical right. follow-up, you know, like on a, at the drop of a hat, whereas they're going to their oncology appointment. That is where we can meet and, and provide that access. And so the things I'm working on in these rural populations, really to understand what's going on with them, the idea is to fold that back into the integrated model to make it possible to meet rural people where they're where where they have need, and then to use those to generalize those uh, tactics and those strategies to be appropriate again for a, a generally um, implementable package. And yeah, definitely, um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. Uh, it's an unpleasant reality that uh, anytime something cuts in one direction uh, in a health context or honestly a law, uh, a law enforcement context, uh, you know, whatever context you really want to point at, the same people are being cut against. Um, and so we need to do better. We need to do something. Um, we as PTs um, and, you know, building, building knowledge is great, but it is not sufficient. Um, right. So that's 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 where my work is is uh, identifying how we can overcome these barriers and then pushing that out to as many people as possible. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about raising that floor, making sure things are diverse and equitable and inclusive, and that can yeah. include rurality and or or urban or or you can go across the gamut of how people are getting care. Yeah, um, you know, a really interesting place for this, in my uh, estimation, uh, is uh, looking at uh, the abled community versus uh, disabled communities. Um, I think there's uh, great work to be done there, and uh, there's a ton of energy. And for us as PTs, that is a space that we should be particularly focused on. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of currency there because uh, any all of us are eventually going to have impairments, uh, you know, chronic impairments. So all of us um, are going to join that uh, so-called disabled uh, community. And so um, really learning how to care for each other. And it's not caring like from the heart, it's caring from the head. Okay, so how do we do this, right? If right. we agree we want to do it, then how do we do it? Um, simply saying, well, you know, this is this is great, and I really feel like we need to move into this. Um, that that that's okay, but but then getting into the how that shows a, a real commitment. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's where we as a, a a field need to go, and uh, and definitely in oncology, that is that is the energy is, yeah. is how are we going to do this thing. Yeah, just the conversations we've had tonight are showing the the spectrum of our profession, all the different types of people who need our our help can that we can actually touch. Uh, yep. I don't know about you, I'm a little bit inspired. If you don't want to be in a box, yeah. come to oncology. If you yeah. want to do work that you find meaningful and you get to put your finger on the scale and make decisions, work in oncology. That's perfect. All right, Chris Barnes, we're gonna we're gonna move you out of here for a second. We're gonna bring you back. Don't worry about it. Uh, fourth speaker tonight, certified oncologic physical therapist that specializes in hematology and bone marrow transplant. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Scott Kramer. Sorry, I'm just trying to bring the energy up there. Scott Kramer, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, we asked, we kind of, we usually start with the superhero backstory. That's kind of like my go-to question. So, you know, what brings you to, to PT and specifically, you know, oncology PT? Uh, Initially, PT, uh, I wanted to be a PT because of sports. Uh, broke my arm playing football in high school, dislocated my shoulder, uh, my last football game in high school, two different football injuries. And I was like, PT is what I want to do. I enjoy it. I love it. I love sports. Went to PT school for sports, um, had an inpatient rehab clinical. And I was like, wow, these people need my help. Like these people, like I'm doing something to change lives. My very last clinical was chronic pain. And I thought I was, I was like, man, am I in the right profession? I'm not helping anyone here. Um, and so I took an acute route. And uh, after a year of inpatient rehab, I went to an acute hospital um, here at KU, at KU, where I'm at now, um, and got to be an orthopedic. So I was like, oh, great. I'm seeing these orthopedic surgeries. This is what I wanted to do, but I'm seeing right up front. Uh, and then a year into working there, uh, our, our department does rotations. So they, when you're a new kind of a new hire, they want you to rotate every so often. And so I got rotated and they said, Scott, we're going to send you over to our cancer units. And I looked at them and I think my jaw might've hit the floor. I was like, that's not what I went to PT school for. This isn't, this isn't what I wanted to do. Right. Um, but then I got in there and uh, I started to get to know my patients. I started to really, you know, and I'm on the acute floor. So these are all newly diagnosed folks. And uh, I got to, you know, get to know them and the nursing staff and the doctors. And I was like, wow, there's a true need here. And we've kind of been like halfway doing this. Like we see them if they need something, like if this patient's really bedridden, but we weren't like meeting them at diagnosis and pushing them through their treatment and making sure that we were keeping their function rather than waiting till they lost it and then building it back up. So um, when I realized that, hey, we have a need and we haven't quite addressed it, uh, I really dove into it. Uh, I got really involved. Um, and then I, I've been doing it now. This is uh, my sixth year of being on our acute floors. Um, and in, in the last few years, I've, I've mostly really specialized with the hematology and bone marrow transplant. Um, initially, I was helping more with uh, with some oncology, and I get to help out on peds. So I've seen some of those rotation plasties that Dan talked about. Yeah. And I was telling the other the other guests how 
one of the coolest procedures you could you could see and get to work with. From the acute standpoint, I don't get to do all the uh, you know the prosthetic fitting and, and ambulation and all that, but just watching them wiggle their toes the first time is uh, give you goosebumps, man. It's one of the coolest things you can you can see. So uh, th that's kind of my backstory. That's how I got going. Uh, I got my my certification this last year and um, continuing just to to dive into the acute world and uh, help help out my patients as much as I can. Love that. I feel like your, your your story is, you know, something a lot of people can probably relate with, which is, you know, they went in this way and they came out and found something that they're even more passionate about. Something that if you had said, hey, eventually you're going to land here, you would have said, no way, I'm going to go for sports and I'm going to be doing this. So I think I think hearing those stories, it, it, you know, over and over again, it can just make people feel a little bit more, I don't know, comfortable in their own decisions. Like, how did I get here? Am I supposed to be here? But if you have those, if there are those wants, as we mentioned, we started the show off with Amy, if there's those wants and those boxes are checked wherever you are, you found it. Yeah, unique story. My wife is also a PT um, and she does outpatient orthopedics. You know, the part, the thing I was supposed to do from the get-go. Right. Um, but I was like, we can't talk shop. We can't say this, you know, talk the same stuff every day. And so we both graduated from the same PT class. And, you know, she went outpatient orthopedics and I went inpatient and I'm happy for it every day. Uh, you know, we each see two different sides of, of, of the world of PT, but uh, every so often our worlds collide where um, I'll have a patient that went through transplant and got through transplant and then got to finally have that knee replaced. And then they get to be her patient. Yeah. So it's kind of neat where they're like, oh, I know your husband or, or they come back and see me and I got to meet your wife. So um, kind of a neat thing. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Again, just mention this with Chris, which is showing like just just the the wide openness of this profession where you can do all those different things and you can meet a PT. And you're like, I have no idea what you do. And that's kind of like what I mean, that's where I, I like to think I stand in the middle of all this, which is like my life is a lot like a happy hour filled with PTs. <laughs> I just bump in and I just say, let's grab a drink. What can you teach me? And I get to share that, which is fantastic. But yeah. It's it's fun to hear those backstories, uh, which uh, which we had Sharon Dunn, APTA president, on a, you know, I think like a year ago at a conference, and she actually asked this question live on stage to a bunch of students and took a poll. And the question was, should you date a PT school classmate? Like if Scott and your wife would answer yes. We hit we hit our relationship. Honestly. Oh, see, I so it's a goofy thing. Like we had thirty five people in our class. She sits in the far opposite corner of me. So she's in the back right corner of the, the room. I'm in the front left corner of the room. Um, we only had two of our instructors that actually knew um, that we got married, but some of them didn't find out until years afterwards. Um, and so when they did find out, you know, we started dating the first year of PT school, got engaged the second year, and then we got married uh, the fall after we had graduated and started our first jobs. And um, none of them hardly knew. And we kind of, we planned to keep it that way. Like it just, we wanted to school first. Our relationship was outside of school. Right. Did your classmates know they had to? All of them. Yeah. I was going to say there's you didn't talk. Keep that your PT they, school they, class. They didn't talk. It was awesome. It was cool. Wow. I always, every time I get to talk to the PT uh, classes, uh, the first thing I do is I ask them, I said, who's dating in here and have a raise of hands. And I mean, they all start laughing. Um, so it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty funny. Share just in case you're keeping score at home. Sharon did recommend not doing it. I'm just going to say, not for everybody. Hey, my wife is a great student, so she was a great study partner for me. That's what you um, want to do. Yeah, she was helpful. Probably the reason I passed BT school. There you go. <laughs> you, now you put a ring on it, so he's good. Yeah, um, so you work in a, a little bit of a different area of oncology PT, really hematology, bone marrow transplant. So. 
PT's role in treating hematological and bone marrow transplant patients in the acute setting. What's a typical course look like? Let the audience kind of peek into that. Yeah, so, you know, these patients are going to come in and, you know, they're usually pretty high functioning right off the bat. You know, they were playing golf last week and had this weird back pain and they come into the hospital or they go to the doctor and they're like, I have this back pain. It's not getting better. Something's going on. You know, they either do a scan or they check their blood and all of a sudden, wow, their world is flipped upside down. And so they're sending them, you know, straight into the hospital. Let's get you started on treatment. Um, and so some of these folks, they come in uh, and they're fairly high functioning, maybe just increased fatigue. So from a PT standpoint, a lot of people are going to look at them and say, they don't need PT. They're moving just fine. They're getting out of bed. They're going to the bathroom, whatever it may be. In my brain, I'm sitting here saying, right now they are, but you're about to give them some form of chemotherapy agent that's probably going to knock them on their rear end. Um, and they're going to want to know what I know to keep their function, to keep their strength. Because, you know, I tell every patient this when I, when I meet them, you know, when you decide, hey, I'm going to get chemotherapy or I'm going to go through transplant or I'm going to do um, what the doctors have told me to, um, they have a goal in mind. They have a vision in mind. Um, it wasn't to have cancer. But they have a goal. And when they have that goal, I remind them of it every day because every time they want to say, no, I don't, I don't feel like it or no, just let me sit here. I'm like, hey, don't do this for me. Why did you say yes to transplant? Why did you say yes to this treatment? Um, and so that's our role is, is to kind of guide them, is to um, be a resource to them. Um, and, and, you know, that typical course, they might be with you for a month. Um, you know, new diagnosis, maybe a month. Fresh transplant when they come in for, you know, an allogeneic transplant, 18 to, to 30 days sometimes. And that's one of the hardest ones, man. When they get a new diagnosis, AML, they come in, they do their month treatment. Um, they get out and they're like home and they're on their own again. They have to voluntarily say yes and come back into the hospital for that transplant. And I think psychologically, that's one of the hardest things. They've, they've been back in their home world and they're coming back in to the hospital to you know, kind of, it's like hand your car keys over, um, and give all control over to your doctor. Um, and it's, it is a challenge, but that's our role. Like, you know, we're, sometimes we're a cheerleader. Sometimes they really need us for the function and we need to, you know, step up, you know, their, their, their ability to mobilize. Um, sometimes they just need us to listen. They need us to, you know, sometimes we spend more time with the patient than any other care provider during their stay. And so, I think uh, I think it's just you know important to be there and be that that resource and that that listening ear for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, like, like that. that. Uh, well, well, start to, uh, themes emerge really, uh, really uh, read the room, you know, and the patient, knowing how tribute impacts function, and having the foresight and leadership to speak up. We're going to talk more about that. Amy's dropping knowledge from the uh, from the back room, but um, you know, talking about a typical course of treatment, and we always like to say there's no such thing as typical, um, but. You know, in terms of appropriately adding strength and exercise with the patients that you work with, you know, what are some of the guidelines or, you know, some, some, some of the places your head goes before you start working with these patients in this setting? You know, it's always important. I think every time, you know, a, a PT that maybe isn't, you know, oncology specialized, um, they, they, they read their chart and they say, hey, this patient has, has cancer. I think one of the first things you got to do is it's always important to look at their blood counts, look at, you know, where they're at in terms of platelet count, hemoglobin, that's going to give you some insight on, you know, should I give them any type of resistance exercise or, 
are they going to be really fatigued? Or you know, if 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 their hemoglobin's low and they need blood, they probably don't have a lot of energy today. And so it might help you to adapt your treatment. Don't go in there with with your plan. You need to understand, you know, what the what the patient where they're at and what they actually need. Um, but as far as like you know, prescribing exercise and and maybe um, increasing exercise, I'm always big on body weight resistance for this patient group. Uh, patients can't go to a gym right now. We can't we can't send them to a gym. We don't want you know if if they're easily bruised or you know easy to break bones or something like that. You're not going to have them lifting a bunch of heavy weight right off the bat. Um, so we do utilize resistance bands if, if needed. But I'm really big on what you you got to carry your body weight every day. And if you are not efficient at carrying your own body weight uh, and you can't stand up, you've got a problem. And so I start there, whether it's just a simple sit to stand exercise. Um, I like some yoga stuff, some chair pose and yoga, um, you know, repeated step ups. We have an aerobic step. We like to use that. I'm big on, on getting body weight involved and then doing something that most patients have in their home um, or have somewhere close by. Because I, I know for a lot of our patients, especially when they discharge uh, from transplant, they got to stay within our cancer center region within like uh, 30 miles. And so for 100 days, wow. some of those folks may either be at their house or they may be at a local like extended stay hotel with no resources to therapy. And so can you use that bottom step of the stairwell and do some step ups? Can you just do sit to stance from your from your bed um, and increase that number on a daily basis? You know, there's the the rare occasion we got that patient that's very high functioning and, you, you know, you can add some of those tougher exercises, but I'm always big on, I'm not here to sell exercise to my patients. I'm here to sell the quality of life and the function that they want after their treatment, after their transplant. Um, if I go in there preaching exercise, they're going to kick me out of the room in the first 30 seconds. And most of the time when they hear PT, that's what they think. Right. Oh, exercise. I can't do it. And I'm like, do you want to walk out of this room or do you want to lay in that bed all day? And so, um, I think the approach in which you take is, is very important also. Yeah. Sit to stands. Why don't I do those? I don't know. Do you want to go to the bathroom alone for the rest of you? Let's, let's do that. Let's, yeah. let's go right to function. Yeah. Hey, interesting stat with that. I read, I read a research review that, uh, a healthy adult will sit to stand about 45 times a day. And so when you think of all these PTs in the hospital, this doesn't matter oncology, neuro, ortho, it doesn't matter. If you're not standing 45 times a day like the average healthy adult, you're probably losing strength. Yeah. And all these patients that are on high fall risk or bed alarms, I, I am fearful that there's patients in my hospital or in my units that are maybe only getting up less than 10 times a day. And they want, and then they're like, I don't know why I'm so weak. Yeah. I, I pinpointed it. I found it. I found the answer. So um, that's one of the easiest exercises you can uh, you can prescribe and you need no equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was sick a couple months ago tracking my steps. I was averaging about 10,000 a day. And then when I got sick, I think I did 10,000 in six days. Wow. And I'll tell you, it took me like three weeks to get back. I mean, walking a dog around the block knocked me out. And I was a pretty, you know, otherwise healthy individual. But if you're, if you're laid up for a couple of days, uh, it, it can go quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's bring the rest of the crew back into the room. Comes PT Dan. Here comes Chris. Amy's back in the house. Guys, first of all, kudos to you guys. You had the hidden theme. 
Amy pointed it out. We were uh, we, we discussed this all the time is we never really plan. Like we, we kind of chart out the different things we're going to ask the guests, but we never plan or, or, or chart out with these different themes. And really, Amy kind of nailed it. it. We were talking, uh, you know, backstage, really read the room and the patient. Uh, know how treatment impacts function, because that's what's going to get buy in. Uh, have that foresight and leadership to speak up and reach out and make an impact. I mean, I feel like those are the things that we kind of hit on. Amy, that was your analysis. Well done. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just noticed that, like, with every single person, I feel like you know, every little piece we said really fit that whole entire picture that we're looking to impact with the patient. Um, I can really relate to what Chris is saying with that integrative model. We are implementing that a lot at, at the James at Ohio State, and. That's really how a lot of my leadership opportunities came about was through integrating and making those recommendations and asking the questions of why based on what we were seeing with the patients, like Scott said, or based on what we were seeing in the room, like Dan said. Um, and we have to fearlessly move forward with advocating for our patients and for our profession, um, not just in oncology, but you know, outside of oncology and physical therapy in general. And the only way to do that is if we collaborate and if we, if we reach out to other people outside of the physical therapy world, outside of our departments, outside of our clinics, that, so that we can reach those patients more efficiently and integrate more into their treatment because we can clearly see what's coming. We've seen that with everybody talking today is that physical therapists have a very unique skill set of understanding what's going to impact patient function. So how can we do something um, in the foreground or preventative prehab, whatever, whatever word you want to use, prospective word you want to use, to impact what we know is going to happen in the future so that we can, we can alter that for the patient. Yeah. Well said. Are right, you guys ready for three questions? Let's do it. Sure. All right. Three questions brought to you by our friends from Arius medical staffing leaders and hashtag travel PT. Uh, let your PT license take you where you want to go. Uh, positions in all settings like oncology or outpatient orthopedics for Scott's wife as well. Um, in all 50 states in D.C., find them online at aureusmedical.com. That is aureusmedical.com. Uh, we're going to go around the horn. Amy, you're up first, all right? And then we'll go clockwise. So uh, first question is a where question. If you could go anywhere in the 50 U.S. states to hang out and be an oncology PT, where would you want to go? Um, I would say Glacier National Park. That was on our list to go to this year, my husband and I, um, and being in Montana in the summer. So that's definitely where I would say. All right, Scott, you're up. Where's your where? Uh, I'm a, I really enjoy the beach. Um, I can't get enough of it half the time. So if you know, just find me a nice sandy beach that uh, you can get me a nice cold drink. I don't have to pick the exact spot. Just there you go. Beach somewhere, please. Easy, easy please. Uh, PT Dan, where are you going? I don't know. Maybe uh, wherever I can be around oncology kids, but also like a beach sounds really nice. Either beach or mountains. I don't get either of those yeah. things here. So West Palm or maybe Colorado. I don't know. <laughs> Please. All right, Chris, you're wrapping it up. Where's your where? Uh, it's Hawaii. It's the big island. Nice. I, I, I like miss it every day right now. That no. it's like uh, I, I, I want a vacation, Jamie. And, uh, and I, I think about it every day. So yeah, no doubt I would have a practice up 
in the mountains. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, be able to go and hit the beach every day. I like it. And the funny mm -hmm. thing is, whenever I talk to people at Arias, um, they say all the time, like Alaska and Hawaii, people just assume, well, there's probably no positions there. There are frequently. If there are humans mm -hmm. there, they need physical therapists. Isn't that great? They need, um, they need Chris yeah. Barnes. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring them on. You know, it goes both ways. Yeah, I need, oof, I need them. <laughs> yeah. So again, that website, aureusmedical.com, leaders in hashtag uh, Charles PT. Again, aureusmedical.com. Second question is a what question. What's something you've read, watched, listened to, book, movie, podcast that you think the audience could get value from? Amy, we'll start with you. Um, well, there's, there's a couple. Uh, it's hard to choose one. Um, but I would say most recently, probably with everybody else uh, watching more Netflix, um, maybe other than Chris <laughs> with his PhD. Um, but uh, I would say um, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix that came out, like, dang, if you don't wanna just like bust through like whatever wall you're thinking about, like you just watch that, watch that show. So yeah, definitely that. Last Dance. I thought you were going to go with Tiger King there for a second. You were setting that up. I'm, I'm, no. I'm more glad you ever thought Last Dance. Uh, Scott, what do you got? Hey, that was a great choice. Um, you know, I can't – I enjoyed Breaking Bad as just a show, and I was really – you know, when I first started, I was like, oh, man, Walter White has cancer. wonder where this is going to go, and I didn't realize it would be as crazy as it was. Yeah. Um, if, for a serious, inspiring note, uh, I really enjoy watching some of those SB speeches. Um uh, you know, Jimmy Valvano, uh, Stuart Scott, I really can't get enough. And if there's a down day for me or there's something like, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard. You have stuck along with her patients and, and you need a little pick me up, uh, take 15 minutes and listen to those, maybe cry a little bit. Um, but then like, man, dive right in because it's, it's speeches and, and words of, uh, inspiration like that. Um, that I think that's the reason the four of us do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that Jimmy V uh, speech says just that. If you cry, you know, laugh and cry and, and have, you know, once a day, that's a pretty good day. So that's some pretty good advice. And hey, man, YouTube, it's free. Shift it over to YouTube. PT Dam, what do you got in terms of a, of a movie book podcast? What do you got? Oh, man, there's so many things. But uh, I think so one thing that really inspired me, Patch Adams. Not sure why. I know it's a movie from the early 90s if you really want to get some culture shit, but it's set even earlier. So, uh, but it teaches, it taught me. Like I was shocked when I first saw it. I was like, I like this. I want to, I want to relate to patients like this. I want to actually care about what they're, what happened in their life and what's going on in their life yeah. and uh, how to invest. So probably Patch right. Adams or this podcast. That's Yeah. Well, thank you. That, that, <laughs> you know, the first scene where Robin Williams kind of really introduced himself where he's like, yeah. Hey, what's the patient's name? And the, you know, the, the, the instructor's like, why does that matter? It's like, well, yes. it's, it's a human. It, it matters a lot. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you get to follow Patch Adams. No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I've got um, so I, a couple, but uh, I'm I'm gonna go with just the one. Uh, YouTube. And now I'm, I'm I say that as a whole thing because um, you know pandemic life is about uh, self soothing, self care for me. Uh, you know, especially the work we do. Uh, it's extremely challenging now, more so than in the before times. So I watch frivolous, seemingly frivolous, but it's, it's uh, therapeutic things on YouTube. Like uh, I'm big into like live cam videos of, you know, there's, did you know there's live cams of most of the ports around because people oh, like oh. to watch big ships. And did so you can watch that. high def video of ships going in and out of Lake Huron, Michigan, my favorite right now. Uh, uh, so there's, there's one from Katmai, uh, 
the Brooks River and Katmai, Katmai National Park, which is the bears eating the salmon that are swimming upstream. I've been watching that, Chris. It is phenomenal. Because people know the bears, right? So they sit there, oh, oh there, here comes Jake. And then the bear walks <laughs> on and you know just sits there. And they're like, however many pounds a bear gets, they're super fat. And they're just sitting in this ice cold water and eating fish. It's what are it's, the odds uh, of two people awesome. on this show who have back watching live cam river videos, watching bears eating salmon coming up? The river? I'm only on. Oh my goodness! Did not see that. Right, last question. Fantastic. Well, yeah, how are you gonna beat that? Last question is a who question. We like to start now with people. Who someone the audience should know more about? Amy. Um, I would definitely say Dr. Joel Mayerson. Um, he is the orthopedic oncology physician that uh, I work with. He is um, truly inspiring and a lot of his work has really spearheaded um, a lot of the new oncology rehab um, protocols that we're working on, but also just the amazing surgical research that he has done as well. So shout out to him. Perfect. Scott, who? Uh, I'm going to use a group. Um, and that's going to be uh, BMT InfoNet. Um, they're a group out of Chicago, um, free resource to a lot of patients. Um, they do symposiums, survivorship symposiums every fall uh, or spring. This year we were uh, virtual, um, but they have a lot of free material for not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Um, so uh, it's called BMT InfoNet. It's um, created by a, a transplant survivor herself. Um, Great group. They bring in physicians, uh, PTs, nutritionists, psychologists, you name it, Good. every year and, and do this this cool conference. And uh, uh, I've been lucky enough to uh, to uh, get to be drug along. They've taken me to Chicago, to Orlando, to Denver. We were supposed to be in Boston this year, and that, that flopped. So um, I just keep hoping they keep bringing me along. But great, great group. A lot of patients don't know about them. Love it. Uh, Dan, what do you got? I think my my – I, I'm either going to do three. I'm going to go three. I'm going to do it. Okay. So for somebody to follow, a couple of people to follow in pediatric cancer rehab, uh, the main one who's invested a lot in me that I want to say is Lynn Tanner. She uh, works out of uh, children's hospitals and clinics in Minnesota, Minneapolis. She's fantastic. She uh, is very invested in teaching people how to work with kids with cancer. And uh, also she's like, she co-wrote the major uh, neuropathy assessment tool that everybody uses these days. So uh, there's that. Uh, Kiri Ness, who I worked with at St. Jude and is amazing. She publishes like 200 articles a year or something like that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, Kiri's awesome. And she's always writing something about exercise tolerance or mobility issues with kids that are like surviving cancer, uh, which is 83% of everybody now uh, who gets it. So, And then the last one is Davis, David Mizrahi, who honestly, you got to follow that guy on Twitter. He's uh, He's doing research on kids with cancer as well, and also adult survivors of pediatric cancers. So if you want to know what's going on in the world of working kids out who, after cancer uh, after cancer treatment or on the like survivorship, uh, long-term, late effects type stuff, those are the people I'd follow. Perfect. All right, last uh, last person right there. Chris, who's your who? Uh, I'm going to plug again the Mailey Lecture. Uh, if you're a PT and you haven't seen it yet, uh, hit me up and uh, and we'll figure out a way to get you a copy, but it's, uh, it's phenomenal. And the importance of it, you know, facing pay cuts, facing increasing challenges to our relevance, facing difficulty, increasing in access and just the basic stuff of being a PT. It offers a remarkable pivot to, uh, 
to just remake ourselves and to uh, really reach the level that we want to be at and that we are, but don't quite get the credit for being at. Yeah. Yeah, we just dropped the uh, the link. If you're watching this either live or recorded on Facebook, we've got the link for that mini lecture uh, in the comments as well. Uh, last thing we do on the show, we call it the parting shot. Parting shop brought to you by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Leaders in uh, hashtag OrthoPT. Uh, check them out online at orthopt.org. Got some uh, new courses out. They've got one on blood flow restriction rehabilitation training with our friends uh, Johnny Owens from Owens Recovery Science. That's a new six monograph set. Tissue tolerance, the running athlete. Uh, all the different body uh, quarters. So you can draw upper quarter, lower quarter, middle quarter. Is there a middle quarter? There is now. Uh, orthopt.org. Parting shot. Really your last chance for we like to call that mic drop moment. All right. So no pressure, but the thing you want the audience thinking about as we leave. Uh, Amy, your parting shot. What do you got? Um I would say, you know, building trust and building relationships, collaborating with um, therapists, physicians, uh, nursing staff every person you come across in in your clinic um, forging that uh, bond and getting to know those people so that we can help make physical therapy uh, not just a point in the cancer continu continuum but a cornerstone that interacts and is uh, enveloped in the whole entire patient experience so that we can make our our field re relevant um to kind of quote uh chris a little bit there would be my parting shot yeah tenacity in the field for sure like it good luck following uh amy guys so we'll go with scott <laughs> uh, my party shot uh for all those you know cancer pt is is uh it's very rewarding, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of challenge that comes with it. Uh, you get to know your patients really well. Uh, they become, uh, you know, extended family members of yours, uh, which can lead to a lot of burnout um, for for providers. So, um, what I encourage you is, if you're experiencing that, if you're if you ever struggle with that burnout uh, as a as a PT as a provider, um, really dive into it. Sometimes you got to dive in harder than you thought you were going, um, because I think that's your way out. That's the way you find that light out light at the end of the tunnel and and uh, you make a difference not only for your patients but your co-workers um, and all those other providers around you love it all right pt dan parting shot what do you got man yes, sir well uh i'm really excited for your audience because there's some of the only people in 2020 to see the lower half of chris barnes's face <laughs> so uh but also i wanted to say that you know yeah you give it you're given a lot of opportunities in working with oncology patients you do have to take those time for uh for self-care and to realize that yeah if you're going to do it right you're going to be probably pretty invested in these people so but what i really want to leave people with is that uh if a kid with cancer if you happen to meet one and they invite you into your world into their world then brighten that world take the opportunity to learn about them and figure out a way to make their lives better yeah really important thing to to focus on i like that all right chris parting shot all right so um i'm gonna I'm going to shout myself out. So yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so in, in our integrated PT uh, perspective piece, there were two things, uh, kind of the, the, the principles, the, the, 
the, the tent poles upon which that the entire model hangs. One is um, insistence upon being integrated on the team, on the clinic team, not next door, not around the corner, but there at all times, right? So full member of the team. And then the other is that literally everything else is negotiable, okay? Um, as PTs, we are rigid and we fight for what we want to do, uh, but to mature as a profession, we need to meet people where they are. And uh, in the sidebar discussion, we've been talking about how none of us use the word exercise. And no, no one that we see wants to hear that word ever. And so, um, you know, telling a PT to stop talking about exercise is like telling a fish to stop swimming, you know, so, uh, but that's what we need to do. So uh, uh, I would say, yeah, being in the room, let's insist on it, but then everything else, let's, let's flow. Right. I like let's, that. Let's, yeah. Let's Just make sure, make sure you're on, you're on the team or you're in the room, but be flexible because that's, that's where you're going to get people to connect with you. And uh, that's how you connect with our patients. And there it is. Yeah. There it is. Uh, thank you guys so much for your time. I feel like we dug into so much having you four on the show. Uh, this part two and really an uh, oncology series. I think it's a, it's a, it's a really deserving patient population. I was glad you guys were here to, to help share some insights. So thank you guys. Thank thanks, you Jimmy. so much. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Thank you.